Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. We're in this series called Anchored. I'm, I'm in week seven, and we're skipping <clears throat> a, a really famous story. There's a story in Scripture in Daniel where there's, there's writing, handwriting appears on the wall. If you've ever heard the expression, the writing is on the wall, that actually comes from Scripture. It actually comes from the book of Daniel. There's a story where the, a king, I'm going to tell you about him in just a minute, he makes God mad and God basically writes on the wall, you're, you're going to get killed. Um, you're going down tonight, basically. And Daniel is called upon to you know, interpret and, and it's not good for this king. But I, I've got in my preaching calendar, I had to, I had to figure out what, what I was skipping. And so that's the story that I'm skipping. But I want to tell you a little bit about it because it sets up where we're going today. Um, Nebuchadnezzar dies. And then his grandson was a guy named Belshazzar. Now remember, they named Daniel Belteshazzar, but this guy's name is Belshazzar, and he becomes the king. He's the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar came to faith in God, turned out to be a fairly good king after he got over his ego. But uh, Belshazzar is, is a nutcase. Like he's a young um, party boy, frat boy type, um, you know, spoiled undisciplined, arrogant, everything that you don't want your son to be, that's what he was. And he gets the reins to the kingdom. And he is having a party one night with his friends, and he gets himself into trouble because he remembers back to a time when Nebuchadnezzar went over to Israel and invaded Israel, and he took, brought these boys back, these, these uh, 25% of the biggest and brightest and, and most beautiful one of the things he did while he was in Israel is he went into the temple and he took out all of the goblets, all of the sacred uh, dinnerware, and there were some special implements in there, and he took all that stuff out, and he brought it back to Babylon with him, and he put it in storage with all the other uh, booty that he took from other places. And so for years and years, those goblets were in storage. <clears throat> well, one night, Belshazzar is partying it up with his buddies, and the wine is flowing, and he has this, what he thinks is a brilliant idea, and he says, hey, we've got those goblets in storage. Let's go get those out, and let's pour wine in those, and let's toast our pagan gods out of the goblets out of the temple in Israel. And that's what he did. And at that point, God had pretty much seen enough and said, everybody out of the pool. And he's angry, and he's really angry at Belshazzar, and um, it's a great story. I would encourage you to read it in, in Daniel chapter 5. But today's story picks up with a new king, and Daniel is in his 80s. And what we've been seeing in this series is that Daniel keeps going through these tests, and with each test, he gets another promotion. He, he, you know, there's, I've been telling you that before the, the blessing comes the stressing, before the, um, the, the trust comes a test. That's always the case with God. And so today's story... Um, begins with a new kingdom. The Babylonian Empire had crushed the Assyrian Empire, and now the Persian Empire has come and crushed the Babylonian Empire, and you have a new boss. Daniel has a new boss. Again, this will be his third. <clears throat> and so what I'm going to read for you to start out is the transition between the old king, Belshazzar, who was actually a young man, and it's going to transition into Darius the Mede, the new king. This is Daniel chapter 5, verse 29. Then Belshazzar gave an order for Daniel to be dressed in purple clothes and to have a gold chain put around his neck. So this young frat boy king at least recognized the, the goodness in Daniel and promoted him, as was the case with all the time with Daniel. He's constantly getting promoted. 
put a gold chain around his neck, and it was announced that Daniel was the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Again, promotion after promotion. That very same night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonian people, was killed. So Darius the Mede became the new king when he was 62 years old. Daniel 6, verse 1. It pleased Darius to appoint 100 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. Again, new king comes in, and Daniel is right there to be promoted. But then you read this statement, and this, this is a bit of a hint. We'll get to this in just a minute, but if you have a Bible open to this passage, I would encourage you to underline this. It says, the satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now that tells me something about the character of these satraps. They are, they are not trustworthy guys. And that kind of, I think, that, that that's going to come to bear in just a moment when we talk about some things with Daniel. So the thing you see in the life of Daniel is that he just keeps doing the right thing. He's, just, he's this guy that always makes the right move. He, he's smart. He's, he's put together. And he just keeps getting promoted over and over again. He's, just, he's, just, he's the cream that rises to the top. Why did he keep, keep getting promoted? I've, I've isolated three reasons this morning for us that, that tell why he was promoted. Number one was his professional competence. He, you know, he was a gifted leader. He never stopped learning. He was constantly learning new things, constantly trying to better himself. Number two was his personal character made him stand out. Not only was Daniel a good leader and a good worker and a good business person, but he was, he was just a good guy. He's the kind of guy that you want for a son. He's the kind of guy you want your daughter to marry. Daniel was honest and reliable and hardworking and, and incorruptible and, and, and loyal and all those things that you want in a son. And then the third thing is his public commitment to his faith. His public commitment to God made him stand out. This, I think this was the secret sauce as far as Daniel's concerned, he's very open, very public about his faith and his commitment to God. He didn't try to hide his faith. And Scripture tells us in, in verse 5 of Daniel 6 that, it, that this is what his co-workers <clears throat> had concluded. They said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God. They knew they couldn't find anything on Daniel uh, relative to his business dealings or just his personal life, but they knew that if they could get something on, on him with his faith, that that would, be the, that would be the thing. So they decide to take advantage of his devout faith. And if this was a movie, this is where the music would change in the movie, right? Like you're watching this movie, and all of a sudden you can hear the music and it gets dark, and, and the, the, the bass kind of comes in, and you're like, oh, something bad's about to happen. This would be that part in the movie. Under that... These, there are 120 administrators that are appointed over these provinces of Babylon, and these guys did not like Daniel. Again, we're not sure why. I think it might have something to do with the fact that he held them accountable. They were being held accountable. They didn't like that. But there's, there could be other reasons. They, maybe they wanted his job. Maybe it was because he was Jewish, and they didn't like the fact that he was Jewish. It could be that they were jealous you know, that they, they just didn't like what was going on with Daniel at all, and they decided, you know, we, we want to be him, and they were just jealous. Some of you have experienced that kind of pressure at work. You've gone into work, and, and somebody doesn't like you, or somebody is, is after your position, or somebody's out to make your life hard, or, or whatever it is, and, and they, they just want you out of there. And, and 
It might be because of what you believe. It might be because they know you're a Christian. Who knows? So these satraps set a trap for Daniel. And they say, we, we don't want this guy to be our boss. We want him out of there. Uh, he's not even from here. He's Jewish. So, you know, we need to get him out. So they're trying to trap him. And they said, the only way we're going to do it is, is if we figure out a way to take advantage of his devout faith. So in Daniel chapter 6, verse 6, this is what we read. These administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever, which is what you say to the king. You know, you kiss up to the king. It's, you better do that. And so, verse 7, the royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. So these guys appeal to Darius's ego. Every king, had, we all have an ego, right? We're all trying to to get control over that sucker and make him behave. But kings had him too, and, and it was a big problem for Nebuchadnezzar and, and for Darius too, if we're, if we're probably accurate. And so they appeal to his ego. They're making up this law because they know that there's one guy in the kingdom that will not obey this law, and his name is Daniel. And they think to themselves, now we've got a trap. And, and, and king, we think that you're the only one who should be worshiped, and so we think that that you should make a decree that no one but you gets prayed to for, for 30 days. No other God, no other king, you're the only one. Because they pretty much, back in those days, if you were the king, they kind of looked at you, you were kind of a god. And there was a very, there wasn't, there were, the lines of that were kind of blurred. And so it wasn't uncommon for them to do this. So this is the, the flannel graph story. And they said, listen, anybody that doesn't bow to you should be thrown into the lion's den. And this is the famous story of Daniel in the lion's den. This is the story that when I was in first grade Sunday school class with Mrs. Christian, that was her name, Mrs. Christian. You think I wasn't destined for ministry? Holy cow. She would act out the, the, the Daniel in the lion's den story on the flannel graph in the classroom. We would play with the Play-Doh, and then we'd learn about Daniel on the flannel graph. And so, new rule. Anybody that doesn't bow to the king is going to get thrown into the lion's den will be eaten to death. Verse 8, now your majesty issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. See, the Medes and the Persians had a rule, and you can actually go into history and look this up and, and, and learn all about this. But they made a law that once you, you, you make a law, you can't rescind it. It can't be changed. Even if the king makes it, he can't change it, which seems kind of stupid to me. But that's, you know, that's the way they did things. That's how they rolled. So the satraps think they've got it all figured out. We've, hey, we, you know, even once the king wises up and realizes that he's made this rule and Daniel's going to get caught up in it, he won't be able to change it. He's, you know, Daniel's making us look bad and we're about to take him out. And, and we're going to get this in writing. The king won't be able to revoke it. And we know that Daniel is going to honor his God. He's not going to bow to anybody but, but, but his God. So these guys hate Daniel so badly that they create one law just to catch him and get him in trouble. So here's the big question. How does Daniel respond to the rule? What's he going to do? He hears about this rule. Daniel has several options. And so just for a minute, let's consider what, what Daniel's options are. First of all, when he finds out for the next 30 days you can only bow to King Darius, uh, here are his options. Number one, he can accept the law and he can just fake pray. Right? He can go through the motions and just like, I'll... I'll, uh, you know, I'll just pretend 
that I'm praying to, to Darius, but I'm really praying to God. I'll just, you know, God will understand. I'm trying to stay alive here. I'll just, I'll just do that. That's an option. He could have put on a sandwich board and protested. He could have walked around and said, will not pray. Will not pray, right? He could have done that. But here's the thing. This is not the kind of system where we've got where we can, we can put a little pressure on our, our uh, politicians once in a while. And, and, you know, if we leverage enough pressure and enough heat, sometimes we can get them to change a law that we think is not right or biased or, or you know, uneven or something. Um, we can sometimes, if we write enough letters or make enough calls or sign enough petition letters or whatever, we can get something changed. But that wasn't the case here. He can't do that. The third thing that could have happened was he could have appealed privately to the king. He had a, this guy kind of like Daniel. And he could have gone to, to King Darius and said, King Darius, you know, you're my king and I, you know, I honor you, but I, I can't pray to you. I'm, I, I pray to my God. I can't, I can't do that. And remember, he really likes Daniel. Or fourth, he could have just kept praying to the one true God, which is what he does. But he, but he, could, have, he could have done it in secret. He could have just kept praying to God and done it in secret, which has happened many times throughout history. Um, over and over and over again in the early church, you know, Christians were mistreated, and, and if, if it got out that you were a believer, bad things could happen to you. You know, that's why they used to retreat to the, the catacombs, and they would actually meet down in the catacombs underneath the city and, and try to get away from the eyes that could see them because, the, you know, the early Christians were... were um, persecuted pretty pretty heavily and so people have been forget, forbidden to worship God you know a lot of times what will happen is they'll just go underground and they'll do it in secret and, and and they pray and there's nothing wrong with that right like that's okay so Daniel could have done that but Daniel knew that they had done this specifically for him and he knew that if he did any of those four things that he would be taking a step back and he knew that he would be caving in. And he knew that these guys would be winning that battle if he didn't do what he always did. He knew that, that um, you know, basically he, he knew that they were trying to shut him up. They were trying to take advantage. And they, they didn't want his religious values to be portrayed and, and, and proclaimed. Does that sound familiar? It's getting more and more the case these days. And so, you know, Daniel... What do you do? You know, they would say, Daniel, what you're doing is not politically correct. We don't like it. We don't like that you pray to your God. We want you to, you know, we don't like you talking about your God. Just shut up about that. Fifth option is this. He could have just continued to pray like he always did and to be very public about it, which is exactly what he does. Verse 10. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. In, in other words, anybody could come to his house and see him praying. It wasn't shrouded or shielded in any way you could have seen it. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Verse 11, these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they go and they catch Daniel. Now Daniel knew what was going to happen. These guys knew what was going to happen. That's why they did this. The question is, why did Daniel do what what? what he did. Why was he unafraid of this law? He knew he could be penalized. In fact, he would have said, I know I can lose my life over this. Like, they, they, they can kill me for this. 
Daniel's very public about his faith, and he opens his window so that everybody can see him praying. This is an act of civil disobedience. You know, he says, I know what the law says, but this is what my God says, and I will not cave to this law because this is what my God says. Now, I don't know how often right now we're going to ever have to do civil disobedience things. I think in the future, and I don't, I'm not up here to do, make some great grand political statement, that's not what I want to do. But I think as we move into the future and things become more hostile to the church, and if you think things aren't going to become more hostile to the church, you're not paying attention. But it's, it could be years down the line, could be decades, I don't know. But there's going to come a day when you are, there's a chance that you could have to make a decision, I need to civically disobey this. I need to step up right here, and I'm not going to obey this rule. I, I'm, I'm not going to follow this law. I know what it says, I know I could get in trouble, but this is in direct conflict with me and the God that I worship, and I'm not going to do that. Now, hopefully that doesn't come for a long, long time. Hopefully it never comes. It may never come. But it's possible that one day you find yourself in a situation very much like Daniel, and you have to exercise some civil disobedience. He opens his windows. He does what he does his entire life. He prays to God. Daniel is very public about his faith. He stood strong for God publicly. How did he do that? How was Daniel so fearless? I think that there are three reasons. I want, I want to, you know, if you want to stand publicly for God at work or, or at school or on the golf course or out with your friends over dinner, you know, how do you do that? I'm going to give you three things this morning. Number one, he remembered that God was faithful in past tests. He'd seen God show up before. Daniel's entire life was an up-close and personal look at a faithful God was not uncommon for God to show his faithfulness. Time and time again, God had proven that he would take care of Daniel. Daniel could have said, you know what? When I was 17 years old and I first came to Babylon, they wanted me to eat this funky food and, and they were gonna take my kosher food away from me and I, you know, God was with me through that whole thing and I didn't have to go through that. And he could have said, you know, I, I've interpreted dreams and, and delivered really bad news to the king and, and God was with me and faithful through all of that. Daniel knew the stories about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and how they'd been thrown into the fiery furnace. He knew that they'd been asked to, to bow to a God and that the king followed through and threw him into the furnace. He knew that story. He, he, he'd heard all of that. Daniel had leaned into the past faithful track record of God. Second thing, reason Daniel was fearless, he had a conversation with God three times a day. Chapter, uh, verse 10, three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Now, do you think that if Daniel has talked to God three times a day, his entire life, every day, three times a day, and now Daniel's 85 years old, think about how many conversations Daniel has had with God. Do you think that didn't have some impact on his fearlessness? you think that didn't have some impact on his confidence with God? Here's the message summarized. The key to standing strong is kneeling often. If you don't remember anything else, that's what I want you to remember this morning. The key to standing strong is kneeling often. The more you pray, the more confidence in God you are going to have. At school, at work, when everybody else is going another way and doing a different thing, the more you pray, the more you're going to be able to do the right thing. You'll be bold. You'll have confidence. The more you kneel, the taller and stronger you can stand. 
The third reason Daniel wasn't afraid to stand up was he knew that the rewards were greater than the risks. You say, was it risky? Absolutely. Could he have died? Yes. Was there a punishment? Yes. Was he actually thrown into the pit with the lion? Yes, he was. God could have kept him out of the lion's den. He didn't have to go, you know, God could have done that a completely different way. I was thinking about this this week. We, we tend to complain when we get thrown into our lion's den. We, don't, you know, we let God know we're not happy. But I started thinking about this this week. How many times has God kept me out of the lion's den and I didn't even know it? And I've never thanked him. I've never, because I didn't know. I didn't know that there was a chance I could go. I didn't know to go back and say, God, thank you that you didn't let that happen. But God was kind of shepherding and taking care of and looking after and making sure that I was okay. But the chances are pretty good. I'd say very good that more than once, God has kept me out of some lion's den that could have been a real problem where if I was in it, I would be definitely be crying out to him. But here's a question I would ask you this morning. What gives God more glory, keeping you out of a lion's den or letting you go into one and then closing the mouth of the lion? See, I think God gets more glory when he lets you go into the lion's den. There are some problems that, that God is going to keep you out of, but God is also going to let you go into them, and he's going you know, to solve it for you. He's going to come through. He's going to show himself in some way. He knows that people are watching. He knows that he can get glory in that. God is not going to keep you out of every problem. Here, get this. Sometimes God is going to put you in the problem. That's not a great thing to say, right? That, um, I mean, I run the risk of somebody hearing that and going, I'm out. <laughs> uh, if that's God, I'm out. God's putting me in the problem? What kind of God is that? A God who loves you? A God who's up to something? A God who knows more than you do? Some of you are, are in the pit right now. Some of you are in the lion's den right now. You've come in here and you're like, Brett, you don't even know. You, you don't even know. Some of you could put names on your lion this morning, that person that's trying to make your life miserable, get you fired, get you out of the way, you know, steamrolling you, saying bad things about you. You could name that person. And for whatever reason, they don't like you. And you're in the pit and there are lions all around you. God has led you there, and he will not leave you there. God has a plan. He's watching you. He wants to see if you're going to be faithful. He's going to do something in you and through you and for you. There were risks, but there were also rewards. Daniel knew that the rewards were greater than the risks. Everybody has secret fears. We all have fears. You know, there's, there's stuff that we just that, that bothers us. We think about it, and we're like, eh. Here's a question. How do you defeat and overcome the fears in your life? And the answer is this. You minimize the potential problem or negatives in the risk, and you maximize the positive benefits of doing the right thing. you got to shift your focus. you got to take it off the potential risk, and you got to put it on the positive, on the benefit. When you're scared to death, you know, you start to do something and you think to yourself, but this could happen, and this could happen, and this could happen. What you're doing is you're focusing on the risk. You're focusing on the, you're maximizing the wrong part. There are potential negatives. And we spend, a lot of times, we spend all of our energy on those potential negatives. A lot of those things don't ever come to fruition anyway. They just make us more and more fearful. You have to mentally choose to shift your focus from the, the, the negative thing and maximize the benefits of doing the right thing. 
What are the benefits? You say, Brett, you talk about doing, the, what are the benefits of the right thing? I mean, wh- what's that look like? When, you're focus, when you focus your energies on the benefits of doing the right thing, it is going to lower your fear. So to finish out our time together, I'm going to give you six benefits to overcoming your fears. And we start with this one. Standing for God is a victory over fear. Standing for God is a victory over fear. That is one of the biggest controlling factors in your life. If you can get victory over fear, you're going to be fearless. You're going to be set free. And you can do things that other people would never do, would never even attempt to do. Because you've overcome that. You've gotten better at that. You've learned to trust God in that. What is fear? Fear is false evidence appearing real. Many times when you're afraid of something, it's almost always, it almost always appears to be bigger than it actually is. A lot of times we get afraid of something and it's really not that big a deal, but we focus on it so long and we make it this great big huge thing and some people make themselves miserable because all they do is focus on that fear. Write these down about fear. Fear is just a feeling and it cannot last. Feelings are temporary. Every emotion is temporary. They don't last. Does happiness last? No. Does, does, do, do feelings of guilt last forever? No. You know, eventually they run out of steam. Every, every emotion is temporary, good or bad, happiness, sadness, joy, grief, guilt, all of those things are temporary. If you have someone in your life who says, I just go with my feelings, I just, you know, I just follow my feelings, here's what I can tell you about that person. It's going to be frustrating to be around them. People who are driven by their feelings, they're up one day, they're down the next day because the feelings are constantly changing. One day they're happy, the next day they're depressed. One day they're, they're feeling guilty, the next day they have no guilt over anything. They just kind of follow their feelings, and you don't know what you're getting one day to the next. If you're married to somebody like that, it, your, your marriage is probably really hard because they're just completely driven by their feelings, and their feelings are constantly changing. Your feelings will lie to you all the time. And a person who follows their feelings is just basically manipulated by their moods over and over again. So that's the first thing. Second thing is this. Fear is uncomfortable, but it won't kill me. It's uncomfortable. It won't kill you. Sometimes it feels like it's going to kill you. Sometimes, you, you know, you can't catch your breath, and your palms get sweaty, and <laughs> your chest tightens up, and feels like it's about to beat out of your rib cage. You know, it's just, it's like, oh, my goodness. But listen, people do not die of fear. It's uncomfortable, but once you've done it, the fear subsides. Here's another truth. Fear grows when I give into it, and it lessens when I move against it. If you keep giving into fear, it's just going to get bigger and bigger, and it becomes like a fence that's moving that just keeps driving you back. It just keeps pushing you backward. It, it, you know, how do you get rid of fear? You move against it. Fear does not respond to logic. The only way you get rid of fear is, is you do that thing that you fear the most. I could reference books and authors and, and famous people for you. Um, I've got a book in my office by a guy named G. Gordon Liddy. He talks about how he overcame fears in his life. He was afraid of, of rats, so he cooked one. You can do that, I guess. Um, I'm sorry, kind of gross right before you eat. Um, you know, Teddy Roosevelt was afraid of things, and he faced his fears. I mean, there's lots of examples of that. The children of Israel are following Joshua. And they're coming up on the Jordan River, and there's this, cha- there's this place where they're, they're going to be called to cross the Jordan River. And, and, and it's at flood stage. And God said, listen, I don't want you, to, I'm not, this is the way this is not going to work. You're not going to stand on the edge and then wait there for me to stop the river from flowing. 
He gives instructions. He says, I want the priests to get in the water. I want all the priests with the Ark of the Covenant, I want them in the water. I want you to show me that you trust me. I want you to overcome your fear. Not until they do that is the water going to stop flowing. And again, the water was at flood stage. See, my greatest memories, I don't know about you, but my greatest memories with God, when I stop and just kind of think through my life with God and think about the places where I've grown and I think about the times that God has really shown up in my world, it's, it's always in, there's always a place where I've overcome fear. And he, and he was there for me and he, and he helped me with it where I had to face something down and God said, Brett, I'm gonna be with you. Don't be afraid of this. You know, 30 years ago, I found out that this church had an opening for youth ministry position. <laughs> Brad Branham called me and said, hey, our church is looking for a youth pastor. You need to submit a resume. And the way that works is you submit a resume. They look at it. You go through this dance, you know, where you do these interviews and things, and they're feeling you out, and you're feeling them out. And, and eventually, there's an offer that's extended, and then the person has to decide whether or not they feel called to come to that. And so, you know, I was living in my hometown. I had a new baby. I was close to my family. There were a lot of reasons why I would not have wanted to come to Terre Haute. I, I joke about this all the time, but I told God when I was in college that I would not go to Indiana to do ministry. 30 years later, my whole adult life, I've been in Indiana and uh, have loved it. And, and, you know, just don't tell God what you will and will not do. That doesn't ever work. But I, I remember being afraid to come to Terre Haute. I was petrified. God, I, what? I could fail. I'd been out of ministry for a couple of years Things hadn't gone well for me in life. I, think that I was, you know, I was struggling to put it mildly. I was going through a lot of stuff, and and it, it, the fear that I felt to step out and do this thing was overwhelming. And I look back on that now, and it's actually a really cool story. It's one of my favorite stories to tell. But it's that moment where it's just this conversation between me and God, and I'm basically saying, God, I'm afraid. I'm afraid to do this. I know, Brett, I'm not afraid. I can handle this. I've got you. Nothing's going to happen to you that I don't know about. I'm going to see you through this. Come on, let's go. I'm calling you. Oh, you know, and it's that, it's that you know, if you've ever had a little child and you're trying to get them to jump a puddle or something and they, you know, they kind of shuffle their feet like, I'm, you know, I've got to get myself ready. That's how I felt. It's like God's waiting on me to take this great big step. Like, I've got you. What are you waiting on? I look back on my life and I see all that. Every great thing that God has ever done in my life, fear was a part of it. And, and fear was overcome and God showed himself and said, look, I'm gonna be with you. You need to stop worrying about this. You need, to, you need to get over your fears. I'm bigger than anything that is in your path. What is the thing that you're most afraid of? Anytime you let fear dominate your life, the, 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 your life just gets smaller and smaller and smaller and you shrink back. And, and, and it's not until you move against your fear that the fear begins to subside. When you stand for God, when it's unpopular, when you stand for God and you don't know what the results are going to be, you're going to have victory over fear and you will become more confident as a man or a woman of God. And the only way you become more confident is you move against your fears. The early Christians in Jerusalem, you know, they, 
it wasn't popular to be a Christian. And, and this is what they said. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Now, this is what could have happened to those people if it got out that they were Christians. These are the kind of things that could have happened. It's way worse than, than it is in America, okay? In, in the first century, they could have lost their lives any number of ways just by letting it be known that they were a Christian. They could have been thrown to the beasts in the Colosseum. The, the great games of the Colosseums didn't subside until the third or fourth century uh, A.D. And so that was a common occurrence. They were constantly having games, and they would, for sport, they would throw these people into the, into the arena and let the, you know, elephants and hippos and lions and all kinds of animals just rip them up. That was, they did it for sport. They might hang you on a cross the way they did Jesus. This is kind of unpleasant, but it's something that you need to know. Nero used to have Christians dipped in tar. And he would hang them in his garden at night, and he would set them on fire, and that would provide the light for his garden parties at night. Nero was a little unstable, in case you can't tell. And this is what they prayed. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servant to speak your word with great boldness. Here's the second benefit to standing strong for God. Standing strong for God builds my faith and character. Character is who you are. Reputation is what you want people to think you are. Character and faith are like muscles. The more you work them, the more they're going to grow. The only way your faith grows is when it's stressed and strained and stretched. You are building your faith muscles when you step out. When you don't step out and you play it safe, nothing gets stronger. You just get flabby. You just get lazy. Your emotions, your relationship, your faith, your character, all get weaker when you play it safe. But all those things get stronger when you trust God and you step out. God, I'm scared to death to do this. You know what it's called when you're afraid and you do it anyway? Courage. You call that courage. Courageous people are people who were afraid and they did it anyway. The person who does something big and scary and they're not afraid, do you know what you call that person? Crazy. That's what you call them. <laughs> They're crazy, right? You need to get away from them. When they encounter something and you're, you're watching it and you're like, oh, you should definitely be afraid here. I'm not afraid. All right, they're nuts. You just need to be careful around those people. Second Timothy. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Let me ask you this question. What are you willing to be true to I mean, what are you, I didn't say that right. What are you willing to do to be true to your faith? What are you willing to do to be true to your faith? What are you willing to endure? Would you lose your job for your faith? You willing to be gossiped about for your faith? Are you willing to be made fun of? Are you willing to lose a relationship because of your faith? This year, I don't know what the number is. I can tell you this. I can tell you that the, the number one most martyred group of people, persecuted people in the world are Christians. And I don't know what the number is. It's in the thousands, probably in the millions of, of men and women who will, will be persecuted, some of them killed this year because they call themselves Christians. What are you, what are you willing to have happen to you because of your faith? Number three, standing strong for God gives, a good, gives God a chance to do a miracle. 
Standing strong for God gives God a chance to do a miracle. If you have never seen a miracle in your life, chances are pretty good that you've never created an environment for God to come in and do one for you. Another way to say that is you're playing it safe. Have you ever leaned on God so hard that you were saying to God, God, if you don't show up, I'm cooked. If you don't do something here, it's over. Or do you just play it safe? People who haven't seen a miracle in their life are usually people who are playing it safe, and they don't ever get to a place where they cry out to God, God, you've got to do something here. You know, the fruit is always out on the limb. It's never close to the trunk of the tree. You've got to go out there. You've got to risk to go get it. If you never really do anything that can't be explained away by your own power, then you've probably never, ever really trusted God to begin with. Most people define their life by what they think they are capable of doing. But with God, you are capable of doing so much more than you ever dreamed by yourself. You're capable of doing so much more than you think you are, but your fear will hold you back. Daniel is thrown into this lion's den, and the king is distraught. He loved Daniel. This king loved Daniel. He says, now because of my stupid ego, I've signed this thing into law. I can't change it. I didn't realize they were out to get Daniel. He's in peril now. And he's going to die because of my stupid ego. And when King Darius found out that Daniel had been thrown into the lion's den, he couldn't eat or sleep. And we read this in Daniel 6, verse 19. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? The God you claim to worship, did he save you? Did he bail you out? Are you okay? Can you imagine how good it must have felt for Daniel to be able to call back to the king and say, it's all good. It's all good. My God came through. I knew he would. My God is faithful. Verse 21. Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God has sent his angel. He shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done anything wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave his orders to lift Daniel out of the den. There's probably no better feeling in the world than when you get lifted out of that den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. When you get put into the pit, just thank him in advance that you tr you're going to tell him you trust him, worship him, give thanks that he has a chance to do a miracle in your life. Benefit number four, it encourages other believers to stand. Courageous, courage is contagious. Courageous is contagious. <laughs> in the movie Braveheart, all these guys are lined up. They're looking across the way at the English army vast, huge, beautiful army, all this armor, and just they look so good. And these guys are all lined up, and there's not as many of them, and they're kind of ragtag, and they're tired, and they're old, and their equipment's not good. Some of them got clubs. They do not look like they're ready to go to war. They don't really look like they want to go to war. And then one dude steps out and starts yelling freedom. And the next thing that happens is they go to war, and they kick butt. You thought I was going to say something else. They win. Why? Because one guy had courage. Because one guy believed enough to stand out and lead the group and, and let his courage be infectious 
and contagious, and, and they see what he's about, and they see how fired up he is, and they're like, all right, let's, you know, let's strap it on, let's go. Let's, let's, let's get something done here. And they go into battle, and they do this amazing thing. They were just waiting for a leader, somebody with enough courage and enough character and enough faith in God to, to say, this is what God would have me do. Other people will follow that. Paul said this in Philippians, and because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Courage is contagious. Fifth benefit of standing before God. We're almost done. It's a powerful example to unbelievers. That's a great benefit. At work, in your neighborhood, at school, it's a powerful example to unbelievers. You see this in the life of of Peter and John. They're told not to talk about Jesus. They're in the temple courtyard. They're talking about Jesus. It's busy. They're drawing, making a scene, and the officials show up, the Sadducees, and they're like, hey, you can't do that. You can't talk about Jesus. All right, we're gonna, they beat them. They scourge them. It's, it's awful what they do to them. But they won't shut up about Jesus. And, and eventually these Sadducees come and say, listen, you can't talk about him anymore. And their response was, hey, we saw him raised from the dead, okay? You can't unsee that. Our, lives didn't, our eyes didn't lie to us. That we didn't, we're not making this up. This isn't some faith thing. We saw him raised from the dead. We're not going to shut up. We're not going to, you can beat us all you want. But we know what we saw. And we're going to talk about it. And then you read this in Acts chapter 4 about the Sadducees. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. You want to be courageous? Start spending more time with God. Start spending more time talking about God on your knees, reading your Bible, talking to God. The more time you spend with Jesus, the less you will be afraid of the things that are going on around you. I know what it is to live in this world and to be afraid of certain things. I understand it. But the more time you spend with God, the less afraid you're going to be. If you are cowardly about your faith, you are not spending enough time with God. Three times a day, Daniel was having a conversation with God every day of his life until he's 85 years of age. He was fearless. You actually see this in the life of, of Darius in our story. King Darius, like Nebuchadnezzar, is going to come to faith in God. Daniel is going to lead two of the three kings he works for to faith in God. Can you imagine how good it would feel for you to lead your boss to Christ? Can you imagine what it would feel like to, to lead your company owner or some influential person in your company to Christ? Can you imagine that? And you're, you're hearing me and you're like, yeah, Brett, that's a pipe dream. That's never going to happen. Is it really? You ever prayed about it? You ever said, God, if you'll give me the opportunity, I'll talk to him. It scares me to death, but I'll try. God, if you'll give me the opportunity, if you'll make that happen, I'll step out in faith and I'll do my part. Have you ever prayed to God and said, God, I want to see them one to Christ and I want to be the one to do it. Help me to do it. Have you ever prayed an expectant prayer like that? Daniel led two of his bosses to faith. I, I just think that'd be the greatest feeling in the world. Verse 25 in, in chapter 6, Then King Darius wrote a letter to all the people of all nations, to those who spoke every language in the world, to, to those, yeah, I wish you great peace and wealth. I am making a new law for people in every part of my kingdom, 
All of you must fear and respect the God of Daniel. Sounds like he's crossed the line. God rescues and saves people and does mighty miracles in heaven and on earth. He is the, only, he is the one who saved Daniel from the power of the lions. Daniel, Daniel's whole life is just this incredible success story. One story after another where he, he just shines. It's, it's all because of his faith. It's because he has such faith in, you know, I'm going to stand for God. I'm going to do what's right. I know it's not popular, but that's what I'm going to do. You would be amazed at what God would do in your life if you would pattern your life after Daniel. You would have stories to tell. You know those per- people that you talk to and they tell these great faith stories and you're like, how do they get those stories? They put themselves out there. They put God out there. They follow him. They're faithful. They depend on him. Daniel lived his life 85 years fearlessly in a pagan world. Listen, our world is not going to get more Christian. You understand that, right? Our world is going to become increasingly more pagan. It's going to get harder. It's going to get more hostile. It's not going to be as easy. And and you're going to have to figure out a way to live uncompromisingly and fearlessly, lovingly in that world. Here's the cool thing. 18 generations later, after this story, 18 generations later, Jesus is born in Bethlehem, and wise men appeared from the east. They appear, you know what what the east is? It's Babylon. They came from this region we've been talking about. Now here's the question. How did people from way over there know anything about the prophecy of a child that would be born in Bethlehem. How did they get word of it? How did they know about that? What, what was the influence? I'm here to suggest to you that the influence could have been what Daniel did 18 generations earlier. It could be that Daniel's faith was so strong that it had some impact and some influence on those people who traveled to see this newborn baby that had been born. That's the power of standing strong in the middle of of a world that's falling apart around you when everybody else is saying, hey, just go with the flow. Just do it like everybody else is doing it. 18 generations later, these men from the Persian Empire come to worship Jesus. That is the power of one man totally committed to God. Your best testimonies are going to come from two things. First of all, it's going to come from the times when you're in pain. Your best testimonies for God are going to come when you're in pain. When you're in pain, everybody else knows you're in pain. It's not, they don't have to be told. They know, and they're watching. And they're watching how you handle it, and they're watching your faith, and they're seeing how you respond. The other thing is, how do you handle something that is unpopular? Your your testimony shines through in how you handle something unpopular. Here's one last benefit, and we'll close. I will be rewarded in eternity. God watches those who stand for him. Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Daniel started strong. He becomes stronger in his 20s and 30s, even stronger in his 30s, 40s, and 50s. By the time he gets to be 85 years old, he's doing some of his best work. 
Some of you might be up in age, but God may have something great for you to do, some courageous thing that he calls you to do, even in an advanced stage. It's highly possible that God, the best thing God wants to do with your life is ahead of you, not behind you. I would, I would argue that is the case. God's always going to call you to something bigger and better. He's going to call you to be fearless. I want you to end strong. You may find out that your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God comes when you're 85 years old. But the only way you'll know that is that you will be in daily conversation with God. So I want to give you, uh, I want to give you one little homework assignment today. Now, I know some of you pray all the time, and I commend you for that. But some just aren't in the habit of doing that. You know, you come to church, and you, you, you love God. I, I don't question that, but you're, you're just not a good prayer. You, don't, you haven't made it a habit. This is what I want you to do this week. Just give me seven days. Let's see if we can create a habit in seven days. For seven days, you're going to take three times a day, and you're going to pray for five minutes. You're going to have a conversation with God for five minutes, three times a day for seven days. Just try it. See what happens. Um, I think that what you'll find is if you can make that become a habit, the more you pray, the more fearless you're going to become. And the more you're going to see God show up in your life. And you're going to have a story to tell. And it's going to be awesome. Now, one last thing and I'm going to pray. Every morning, there's somebody praying in our rooms for me. Right now, there's somebody praying for us. Um, at the end of the service, there are going to be people that come down here that are willing to pray with you if you have a need that you need prayed for. That'd be a great place to start. You know, I'm going to help me to do this for seven days. So just start off, make a commitment. Yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that homework assignment and, and, and go for it. And if you need a little extra prayer, come down here. We'd be happy to have people pray over you. Let's pray together. The band will come out and sing us out. Father, we love you. We're, we honor you today on Father's Day. You're amazing. Lord, I just look at my own personal life and see where you've showed up and you've taught me so much in the times when I was afraid. And, and I'm not proud that I was afraid. I, I, I admit that kind of sheepishly, but man, you've, you've just showed up so many times. And I honor you. Just thank you again for being who you are in my life. And Lord, we're not, you're not done with us. You're gonna, we're all going to be led into those places where it's scary and we don't know how that, what the outcome is and, and we're scared to death. Help us, Father, to lean into you and to trust that you've got us. You're not going to let us fall. You're not going to leave us in a pit somewhere. You're going to bring us out. We trust you, Father. We honor you. We worship you. We love you this morning. We pray it in Jesus' name.